Hi, folks. Glad that you are here this weekend. Uh, if you want to go ahead and grab your notes, we'll get into this real quick while you do that. Let me welcome all of our campuses, obviously Lone Tree and Lakewood, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, the folks that uh, live stream us right now, and then our post-production people. Those are the ones that maybe in the next couple weeks might download it or listen to a CD or a DVD. However, you're a part of the greater JFC family. We really are grateful and thankful and want to welcome you here. Uh, quick update, we're in a series called simply Psalm 23. And what I have said going through this series is, uh, it really is for one of three people. If you are a believer, what a great series for you to come and hear. I, I think it will strengthen, encourage your faith, and I think you can, uh, you can get a lot out of it just simply as a believer. If you're a seeker, I think it's a great uh, message for you to come. If you're just diligently really open to the things of God and looking, I, I think it's probably one of the most fair uh, without any uh, contrived issues of hearing how God reveals himself to his people. And then again, if you're a skeptic, and simply, I don't want to ignore that because I know at, uh, with all of our services over the weekend, at some of our campus, maybe all of them, one of them, whatever, we're going to have some people that are just simply skeptics. You were invited and you're being nice to somebody to be here this weekend, but you've sort of already made up your mind. Nonetheless, I want you to know that we're very intentional about welcoming you here. We're glad that you're here, and we think that maybe there'll be something in this for you. If nothing else, uh, enjoy uh, me. And so we'll just... Um, <laughs> that's why you're a skeptic right there. Just kidding. Okay, uh, go ahead and grab it. Today, uh, if I put a title on it, I would just simply call it My Cup Overflows. We're looking at uh, Psalms 23. We're going to go in verse 5 uh, this week. Next week, we'll end this series. So there's only the six verses. Uh, I, I want to encourage you right now. Next week, you're really going to enjoy it. It winds up in a really uh, unique way with a, with a really neat message. And I just want to encourage you, uh, be here next week for the, uh, the, the final message. So Psalms 23.5 out of the NIV. Again, uh, most of us, I think, uh, believer, skeptic, seeker, whatever, we're probably more used to hearing uh, Psalms 23 from the New King James Version because it's just used that way in our society at large. It's used at funerals and it's used in times of tragedy and it's used uh, just in, in many varied ways, but normally from the King James. I just use the NIV. It's, it's a great uh, 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 modern uh, translation that just pulls out some of the old English words and just inserts the way that we talk today. So uh, verse five reads, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Notice again, plural and not singular as David says that, uh, just simply meaning that uh, in life, we don't always just have one enemy. Sometimes there's many things that come against us. Sometimes there's many things that we face. And I think David's just simply recognizing that. Uh, in this particular case, I'm gonna talk about who he may be talking about, but let me, let me just finish. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So uh, three things that I think really are worthy of your time uh, and, and when I studied this week that I thought I would, I would bring out in this, uh, in this particular message, let me begin by uh, what I just said. Where is David when he writes these words? Because I think context is kind of important when it comes to this. If he's at a really good place and everything's going really easy, maybe he's just sort of talking, you know, and maybe just making a comment about something, you know, I, I just believe this, it's my theory. But if he's going through some difficulty when he writes this, maybe it's got more meaning than it would regularly have. All right, most scholars, not all, but most scholars think David probably wrote this uh, at one of the lowest points in his life, and it has to do with a family member, his son, named Absalom. Absalom uh, was, was, David loved Absalom with all of his heart. David favored Absalom. Absalom had a lot of character flaws, and I won't get into that right now. His worst one was that Absalom decided he was going to steal 
his father's throne. So he literally found a way to steal the hearts of the people uh, right behind David's back. He led a rebellion in, uh, in Jerusalem, and he literally decided that he was going to take his father's throne. And the way that he was going to uh, keep that as a permanent thing was to kill his father, to kill all of his father's family other than himself, and to literally uh, push David out. So David grabs uh, his family. He flees into the desert to escape Absalom. David made this conscious decision. I didn't put myself on the throne of Israel. Therefore, God has done this, and if God's decided to take me off of it, there's nothing I can do about it. But if God doesn't want me to go, Absalom won't be able ultimately to keep me off of this throne. So he just trusted God. That, that's what he did. And in this time, he runs to the desert, really fleeing for his life. And many scholars agree that while, while running from his son, running literally for his life, can you, I mean, look, it's one thing to be betrayed, but it's another to be betrayed by a son. And by a son that you love and that you're trusting and that you, you've given everything to. I mean, can you imagine where his heart has to be broken at this point? And then not only the betrayal, but literally his son is pursuing him to kill him so that David can never return and become king again. And it's at that point that most people think that David writes these words, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. So literally in the middle while running for his life, David is able to experience the goodness, the kindness, and the mercy of God. Isn't that a wonderful thought right there, that in our darkest, deepest, most I mean, oppressing times, God is still able to be God to us? So, so here, here would be my thought. How in the world does a person see something like that happen? I mean, it's one thing, again, if we just say, in theory, that's true, we can all say amen, but it's when the chips are down, when the, when the table is, is turned against us to really experience God's goodness and to be able to say for sure, in the presence of my enemies. Notice this. He doesn't say you took me out away from my enemies. What he says is that even in the presence of my enemies, somehow you protect me and cause me to prosper even when everything around me is a storm. That's pretty powerful. So, so what is this? I mean, is, is David, is he delusional? Is he, is he sort of like just uh, saying the right thing to say? Or is he really experiencing something that's remarkable. Well, let me just throw a thought out here. Uh, I believe he literally has found, I, I think he literally has experienced that in the middle of all the things that, that his son wants to do to him, all the people that turn against him, I think that God's put a hedge of protection around him so that even, even though he's having to run, I just believe that God's decided no one's going to take your life. So God is protecting him. He's experiencing, even in difficulty, he's experiencing that God's still with him. And that's a, I think that's an important key. But let me, let me just throw this out. On David's side of it, David was one of these people who could always keep a right attitude. I mean, when the chips were down, and if you look in his life over and over and over again, things, things would happen to him. One point tells us that David learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. Sometimes we wait for someone else to encourage us. And if you ever live life where, where you realize that not always are people encouraging to us. Sometimes they're the opposite of that, and we have to learn how to encourage ourselves. So how does David do this? Well, part of it was just the guy knew how to keep a right attitude. I experienced this recently we, on our Israel trip. Uh, we just had a difficulty getting the group to Israel. And, and when they finally did arrive, they, 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 their flight gets canceled here in Denver. They end up going, Dan and Marcus have to reroute themselves, and they, they end up in the middle of Germany on a Lufthansa flight. They're supposed to be on U.S. air. And then they get, they get all the way to Germany. They have a 10-hour layover, and then the Lufthansa pilots decide to strike. 
I mean, do you ever just feel like, this is just not supposed to happen? <laughs> and so they finally, when they finally do get to Israel, Chris and I got there early to go visit our friends there, our guides there. And when they finally do get there, it's, it's early in the morning. And we, we go to the airport, and here's what I decided. I know these people are going to be tired. I know they're going to be grouchy. I know they're all going to go, why in the world did we listen to you? Why are we in Israel right now? We, I, so I'm, I'm, and I thought, I'm, I'm not going to hide at the hotel. I'm going to go there and face the music. So I, I'm standing there. Chris is standing there. And uh, it, it, when, you, when, you, when you get there, there's these two big doors. Once you clear customs and immigration, they open up, and then you're actually in Israel. Before then, you're in the no man's land of an airport. And, and once the doors open, I'm expecting them to come out. I, I'm really looking for rotten tomatoes and cans to be thrown. And, and, and this group comes out and they see us and they yell, Pastor John! They're all excited and they whistle and some of them are clapping and they're cheering. And I'm like, what? They must have given them drugs in Germany or something. What is going on with the... And they had such a great attitude. And that attitude then, I watched it manifest. That trip, I just say this boldly, in the 10 trips since we have started uh, here at Jubilee, in the 10 trips that we've taken to Israel from Jubilee, that trip, I saw people experience God more on that trip and more people experience God. And so same trip, same group of people from the same church, what's the difference? I think attitude has so much to do with it. When you have the right attitude about God and you put yourself, look, I think God is always, he is always for us. Do you believe that? So why is it that some people like experience that and other people are like, uh-huh, why, why not me? What, why is that? What if some of it is not, it's not, what if it's us? Yeah. Let me try that. What, what if it's not God? What if it's us? Yeah. What if God's like, I'm for you and we're just like, really? And I, I read this thing in the newspaper this week. I shared it with my staff. We, once a month we do a, I like an all-staff thing, and I just I, I teach them on leadership, and it's one of my favorite, if not my favorite thing to, to do during the month is just to, to teach these guys and spend time with our leadership. And I read this in the newspaper, um, the difference between paranoia and pronoia. Let me just do that. How many of you know what paranoia is? Raise your hand. How many of you have never heard the term pronoia? It's me too. Okay, so this is not, so paranoia is this, okay? I, I, I even wrote it down so I can say it's right. It's the delusional belief that others are plotting and planning against us. Like that they're talking ugly about us behind our back. What is pronoia? Listen to this. Pronoia is the delusional belief that others are plotting and planning our well-being. <laughs> it's a literal, this is a literal term. Psychologists literally have given it a term called, it's when people actually expect good things to happen. Now, both things say delusional. <laughs> let me just say this, most of us go through life delusionally anyway, so why not go through positively delusional, <laughs> then negatively delusional, and you might go, well, I mean, but, but, I mean, is that really, listen, most people, when they look at faith, they consider people of faith to be delusional anyway, yes or no? And what is it that they consider us to be delusional about the fact that we believe that God exists and that he actually loves us? Yes. So be delusional. <laughs> believe that God is not only there, but that he loves you and that he's for you and that he wants to do good things for you. And I think that is part of, look, I think God does his part all the time. I think that God stands like this in our lives, never like this or like this. I think God is for us. But I think sometimes our heads are so, we can't receive. And here's the deal. We just tend to think, God, you know where I'm at. If you want to do it, come get me. 
part of it, God looks for people to partner with him in the process, to believe. Yes, no? To believe. I mean, it is a part of the process. All right, so, so here's David then. Uh, in, this, in this deep place in his life, I think keeping an attitude that's, that may be somewhat just like, hey, I just believe God is good, and he's experiencing the goodness of God while everything else around him is bad. Let me, let me just throw something out. Maybe the greatest illustration of this in our world today, to be surrounded by your enemies, yet to, pro- how about the nation of Israel? I want you to think about this for a minute. To its north, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt. And then inside of Israel, you may not, uh, geographically, I'm not sure that you understand because so much when it's written, we don't get it. Gaza and the West Bank are two separate issues inside of Israel. So Israel's backed up to the sea, and then inside of Israel is Gaza along its southern border to the sea, and then to the eastern side is all of the West Bank. So they literally are surrounded and then surrounded again, and in the presence of their enemies, listen to this, this tiny nation has more, listen, more in modern history Nobel Peace Prize winners per capita than any other nation. It is the most prosperous nation, not because of oil, which is where the other ones all get their prosperity, but from their own creativity. Its industrial might is incredible. You talk about the desert blooming in prophecy of what God said. Here this nation surrounded by their enemies and their real enemies. We just came off a 50-day war, real enemies. And yet the nation of Israel, can you not see God himself in the presence of my enemies? You prepare a table, a banquet, a feast before me. God doesn't pull them out of it. He causes them to prosper in the midst of it. Why would God do that? Because some things cannot say that there's a real God other than things like that right there. And in your life, listen, if you can affect the outcome Why do you need God? But if you're in a position where your back is against the wall, and listen, delivery is only possible by the hand of God. What an opportunity. Here's what what prophecy says about the nation of Israel. Ezekiel 38 and 39, Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, all prophesize these words. At some point, the nations of the world will line up against this tiny nation called Israel and will go against it in battle. And this is what the Bible says. On that day, God himself will fight for that nation like a warrior fights in battle. What, and, then, and then the conclusion is this, that the entire earth is united under the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How could that possibly happen? How about this? If God does show up, the proof would be absolutely irrefutable in the eyes of all the world that he is who he said he is, that he does what he says he does, and that he's the Lord of all, and all knees will bow, all tongues will confess, yes or no? But how does it happen then in the presence of my enemies? You prepare a table. So do you have any enemies? It might just be the opportunity for God to do something great on your behalf. So here's our prayer. God, I don't want any enemies. Here's God's will. Let me do something great on your behalf. Let me, have you ever prayed prosper me? Four of us, awesome. <laughs> do, do you want to prosper? So maybe there's some prosperity that can only come on the other side of God being God in our lives. Maybe when the odds truly are just irrefutable, 
that either, God, if you don't come through, I'm, I'm a goner. Maybe it's an opportunity for God to be God like nothing else. Uh, let, let, me, let me just move into this. The second part of this verse I think is really cool. Uh, David writes, you anoint my head with oil. So, so we have a, a bit of a problem here in that uh, Hebrew is a very poetic language. Uh, it's written 3,000 years ago to a people and to a custom that in 2014 America, we just simply, we lose an understanding here of the anoint, to, to anoint someone's head. What does that mean? And what, what, what's being said here is a poetic language. So it's actually describing the, the way that you would honor a, a, a person if they were to come to your house or, or at a banquet, the way that you would, do, the way that you would do, to, to honor and to, to give the most honor to a person would be to take, you're talking about a climate where folks, they, they, they didn't bathe like we bathe. And their skin is dry and cracked and uh, Queen Esther in the Old Testament, in order to prepare for an audience with the king, listen to this, she soaked in oil for six months, every day for six months, before she went to the presence of the king so that her skin would be soft, so that what she had to say to him would cause him first. Listen, men see before they hear. Never mind. Um, That was really good right there. You did not hear what I... Yes, all right. So she understood the necessity... To, to prepare. So it was a sign in a community, the way that you honored a person was to anoint their head, to anoint them. So what David is actually, he's painting a picture, but in context, we lose something today. What he's saying is, God honors me. He, he gives me a place of honor. He, 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 he sees me as significant and as important. So how do you then take that and, and bring it into 2014 where people try to get it? You know, honor, a culture of honor. Gosh, if I, when you honor someone, you are doing something so significant for them that it can change their life. Listen to me on this issue. I have much to say. I, I would love to do just a series on the idea of honor. and much to say about this, and I can't get stuck on this, but here, here's the thought. When you honor someone, you do something that is so significant that to dishonor them can ruin a person. Honor can have the exact opposite effect. And the Bible is full, Old and New Testament, of God telling us to honor your parents, honor your spouse, honor authority, honor pastors, Woo-hoo. honor. <laughs> you know it says that, right? I know that sounds self-serving. It actually says double honor for one who serves well. To double honor. All right, to honor, to honor all areas of life, but then the most significant one, over and over again, the Bible tells us to honor God. But how do you honor something? Do you just give it lip service? Well, there are so many ways that we can, you know, quickly, Chris, Chris, uh, a significant way that changed my life, a table in the presence of my enemies, I, I grew up in a family that didn't understand honor. We dishonored each other. We said horrible things to each other. We didn't do things that were respectful and that that promoted the idea of a culture of honor. And the fruit that you eat from that years later, you don't always eat it right on the spot. It's where a relationship is years later. So I come into this thing called marriage. 
without a very good understanding of, of, let me stop. Honor is a spiritual principle that will produce bitter fruit if you dishonor and very good fruit if you honor. Let me just show you a way that someone can honor. In front of our children, my wife never, ever ran me down. No matter how (laughs) disagreeable the situation was, no matter how dishonoring I was, my wife in front of my children always made me to be their hero. Okay, zoom to 2014. It's my oldest 30, 29, 24, two 21-year-olds. All five of them honor me in their lives as adults. Their spouses honor me. My grandchildren honor me. It created such a culture of honor that I walk in. It's a robe that I wear, a robe of righteousness that in my family, at our house, I am that guy. Where does that come from? Now, of course, look, you, you cannot, listen, earning that is important too. Let me, let me be balanced on this. You cannot run around like a jerk and abuse everybody and then go, you don't honor me. Maybe you're a dishonorable person, but even in light of that, how do you change a dishonorable person? Learn the power of honor. Oh my goodness, I would love to. I just wish I had the, I I need to do a series on this. Words, the Bible says, the power of life and death are within the tongue. And even though, here's what we do. When we see something we don't like, we think the way to change it is to criticize it, which can be so dishonoring, yes or no? Let me go this way. The way that many of us receive love is not through the word I love you, but when we honor someone, what we're telling them is I love you, and they feel love through honor. People will go to war over feeling dishonored. They'll divorce over feeling dishonored. They separate over dishonor. And how about this? Oh, so much that I would teach on this. Listen to this. Listen, when we honor something, it moves towards us. And when we dishonor it, we move away from it. So that if you want something to draw closer, learn to honor. So let's, let's get outside of people. The Bible says to honor God with your wealth and the first fruits that he gives you. So then your barns will overflow then your vats will be full. Here's what we do. If we honor God, it draws things close to us. Amen. The Bible says, give him the very best. We show honor to God when we give him the best we have. The first of our money, the first of our time, the first of our heart, the first of our ability. Right. Hell, yes, agree, disagree, yes, no. Yes. Like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> honor me by saying amen. amen. How about this? When you honor me coming here, you can learn something. If you dishonor me before you get here, nothing I say makes a difference in your life. And if you feel that way, find a pastor you can honor. Think about that. You always want to be in a place where you can honor the leadership. Honor, 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 honor. If you're over people, the quickest way to cause them to grow, honor the people. Speak highly of them. Encourage them. Words of life. That curses people. Yeah. All right. I, there's a guy in our church. 
I asked permission before I did this. His name's John Dunn. John's, he's a little older than I am. He's done more in life than I've done. Um, he's very successful. He's successful with his children. He's been successful in business. He, he's just, I, I, I admire him. And, and John, um, he, he likes to play golf and he invites me to, to play golf with him. And wherever we go, like, like he belongs to a country club here. And when we go, John, this man that is, is so much above me and that I so, I look at him and I'm like, I want to do things that way. He doesn't even know I, th- I want to do things that way. I want to, I learn from him and he doesn't even know it. But when we go with all of his friends, he, he introduces, I want to introduce you to my pastor. This is my, he is not ashamed of me. He's not embarrassed of me. He is not like, his, his, his faith is not something for, for Saturday night or Sunday morning. Wherever he's at, his faith is, this is my faith and this is my pastor. And it, what does it do? For, God, I feel so honored in his presence with his friends. I feel like a million bucks. And then here's a significant principle. When someone above us honors us, the level of power magnifies all right, now, now let me remove that thought and go this. The one who's above all honors you. The one that is the creator of all, that, that is significant, that, that we, we see as above and as incredible. He doesn't say, just honor me. He's like, let me honor you too. In the presence of my enemies, you prepare us a table before me, you anoint my head with oil. Here's what David is saying. You honor me in front of everybody else. When other people dishonor me, God, you honor me. Do you hear what I'm saying? What could happen in the life of believers if they could sense the presence of God honoring them in their decisions, in their family, in their business, in all that they, what if we felt? What if life was more than the drudgery? What if we could be pulled out of the everyday common to remember our lives literally are holy? Not the way we dress, look, talk, or act, but they're significant and they're special and they're set aside. And so what we do shows honor to God and God pulls us out of that drudgery to show honor to us. God, if we could only rise above the dinge of to see how unique and special and I feel like I say that and I wonder if all you hear is static (laughs) Hmm. honor can change anyone and everything let me give you the last one So David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. My cup overflows. What a a powerful saying again, 2014. uh, This afternoon, you know, um, man, I I grew up, (laughs) I grew up with bad habits. Uh, I love Pepsi and Coke. Um, You know, my grandkids, they're... (laughs) They're fortunate to escape the bondage of sugar. <laughs> but I grew up, you know, part of my thought is I want to live a long time, but I actually want to enjoy my life. So somewhere between those two things. 
is where heaven's going to collide. <laughs> you didn't get that at all. So I don't want to be like 95 and like, well, I just hate living. 80 and fat and full would be just fine for me. All right. So... So I'm looking at a Mountain Dew shirt while I'm saying this, right? <laughs> and then I found, you know, you can buy Coke in the bottles with real cane sugar from Mexico. It's like buying Cubans from Cuba. It's the real thing. <laughs> and this afternoon, I'm pouring one in a glass on ice. And what happens to a Coke when you do that? You have to stop, right? How, what you, how come you're... Wait, you're all my age. Many of you know. What happened to young people are like, what are they talking about? What so you pour it in there and it just overflows. I'm only trying to give you a picture. Here's God. What David is saying here is, you're not the God of just barely. You're not the God of, maybe I'll give you just a little bit. But you're the God who caused my cup to, it's almost wasteful. And yet God is never wasteful. But the abundance that's being talked here is just, I mean, you, you have to understand. Here's the one who has it all saying, let me pour for you. <laughs> he, the picture here is just so powerful. So, so literally, David says, my cup overflows. It's more than enough. It's not just enough, but more than enough. So Luke 6, 38 so Paul, uh, when we get into the, to the New Testament, Paul takes this from Jesus in, in, in Corinthians when he's teaching about giving. But here's what Jesus says with the idea. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together. What's the next part? Running. Running. Oh, how many of you would like God to treat you that way in your life? Yeah. Running over in your health. Yeah. Running over in your family. Yeah. Running over in your joy and in your peace. Yes. Just running over. Yes. Everything is running over. What a wonderful place that would be. Yep. <laughs> Not many of us deal with that problem. <laughs> Yay, nay. Most of us are like, how do I get this to be a little more? Here God is like, here's the give and it will be given to you. So if you give honor, guess what comes back to you? Give love. It, it, there's a principle at work here. And, and then the church, not, not the church, preachers take this scripture and turn it into only money. Which then causes us to avoid a scripture. And it's so much more. So much more. Now it includes that. It doesn't, it doesn't negate that or take away from it, but it's so much more. So, so, so let me just give and it will be given to you. Good measure, press down, shake it together. Running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured to use. All right, let me just give you three thoughts about sowing and reaping. One, what you sow is always what you reap, yes or no. You sow bitterness, you cannot expect to reap joy. So joy, expect to reap joy. So always, here's a principle here. What you sow is what you reap. Two, reaping comes after sowing, never before. And here's what we do. God, let me reap right now. God's principle is always sow first. Want honor, give honor. Want joy, be joyful. Want abundance, be an abundant person. We live by the principles of this world. God calls us to a different 
truth. Last but not least, so what you sow is what you reap. Reaping comes after sowing. How about this? You always reap more than you sow. Here's the principle in reaping. 30, 60, 90, or 100-fold. So one seed, get thousands back. Yes or no? That's the way that it works. That's God's principle in action. All right, so, so we go, God, I want those things. Part of it is just, I think God is saying, okay, I'll do it. Where are we at? Where are we at with this? Where are you at with this? Where am I at with this? Is it just words? Or is, it re- is there a principle here? I want this in my life. I do. So let me just close with a generous life then. Right, so, so, so the pastors will stand up at all the campuses this weekend and talk about between now, our holidays, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, our church wants to do tons of outreach. Each campus is connecting with open door ministries downtown. Uh, I, I, so many, di- one, one of them is, is extreme uh, spiritual makeover. To go into a block where underprivileged people are and to build fences, to erase graffiti, to feed people in our community and in communities surrounding us because we're not just a church in Lone Tree or Highlands Ranch or Castle Rock or Lakewood. We're a church for Denver. My heart, I want global domination. (laughs) And if I can't get the world, I'll take Denver. So make a difference. Let's make a difference. So then we'll stand up here this weekend and some of you, all you're hearing is write a check Yeah, we need that. You know what else we need? We need your time. Come help us feed people. We'll be announcing that. Sign up. It's easy when you're affluent to write a check. Not maybe for everybody in this room, but for many of us, we can write a check, and it's crucial, but we need your time, and we need your help. We've got to organize this. Some of it's just food that has to be put together in boxes, some of it's people that we need to go bring it to. God, there's so much for us to do. And here's where we are. I wish God would be abundant to me. So, 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 so what? So, so. Okay, all of our campuses. So today, here's where, besides just your normal giving, the opportunity to give to us to be able to minister to people for the holiday is on us. So at all of our campuses, at the exits and in the foyer, those are all of our offering boxes. There's not going to be any kind of arm twisting. You do what God's telling you to do and be faithful to that. But without question, our generosity in how we receive things is absolutely crucial in what we receive from God. Do you agree? Yes. Okay, enough said. Father, we love you. We ask that you bless this time. It's holy when we give to you. God, not just checks that we write, money that we give, but when we think about our time and our prayers and the words we're going to speak over what you're doing and what we can do in our community and what this world looks like, all of those things are an opportunity to be generous people to give generously. Help us right now. Father, bless this people. Bless our campuses. Bless them, God. 
Open our eyes, God, to this world and open our eyes to the fact that you're here among us and that you want to do so much, God. God, don't let us just see life and just the little stuff that's around us and the, 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 the stuff that drags us down. Elevate us to see, God. Give us vision to see. To see. And I thank you for that right now and I bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Have an awesome weekend. I love you. Drive home careful, okay?